0: If you have your Bibles today, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter five. And uh, we are continuing on our series called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you've got your notebooks with you, you can open those up to the first page. Uh, We are still walking through these first 12 verses called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, If you don't have a booklet, I didn't bring one up here with me today, uh, but these are a tool that are not just for you to take notes on Sunday mornings. They're a tool for you to, throughout the week, uh, just read a section of it and and prayerfully ask God, what are you speaking to me? Uh, Our goal is that we would develop a pattern of reading the Bible on our own, of hearing God speak through his word, not just through a preacher, but as we open it up. And so sometimes the Bible can be daunting. How much should I read? Uh, Where do I start? We just wanna take this season of time and uh, just read through this Sermon on the Mount over and over. And like, let's just take a small amount of scripture and allow God to speak to us through that. So that would be the primary tool for that notebook. Uh, If you have a notebook, would you just put it up in the air so that we can, someone around you can see what it looks like. Awesome. Uh, Give someone who brought their notebook a high five. That's awesome. Uh, We've got some out here on this table. I believe there's more on the way out. If you don't have one yet, you can get that uh, on your way out today. Um, We're looking at these 107 verses in a row of Jesus's words. Uh, This is a, a sermon where uh, Jesus, the context for it is there's been lots of people gathering around him, traveling from towns and across rivers and over mountain passes. Because he's performing miracles, they're bringing their sick, they're bringing their demon-possessed, they're trying to bring anyone who needs a miracle to Jesus. And so every day, crowds of people are gathering, and he performs these miracles. It says on this day that he wakes up, he sees the crowds, and instead of healing people on this day, he climbs up a mountainside and begins to teach this really challenging, 160 Seven verses uh, of a sermon. And this sermon hits all types of different topics. And uh, we're going to be walking through it over the next several months, uh, where he's going to approach all types of challenging uh, topics and how followers of Jesus respond and behave in certain ways. And what we see in, in the Sermon on the Mount is essentially Jesus' manifesto. This is him laying out, like, this is our group identity. This is, if you choose to follow me, this is the way that we function. This is the way that we behave. It's different than what your flesh desires. It's different than what culture does. Uh, But this is what it means to be his followers. It's our desire here at Anchor Church to not just know stuff about scripture and to have this, this concept of Jesus being our savior. But we wanna be people that actually have a group identity, that we follow Jesus according to his teachings, his way, his principles, to not default to our flesh, not default to culture, but what does Jesus say is the way that we are to conduct our lives as followers of him. And so we're slowly gonna go through this and say we're gonna orient our lives around what Jesus taught, around what he said his followers look like. So we're gonna look at Matthew chapter five. Again, if you are willing and able, would you stand with me? Uh, We're gonna read these first 12 verses together. I'll read it out loud. You can just follow along with your eyes, uh, either in your Bible, in your notebook, on your phone, or along on the screen behind me. But we're gonna read the first 12 verses and then uh, we're just gonna zero in on uh, a little bit of it here today. Uh, Matthew 5, verse one says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and it is active and it's transforming us into your image. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are at work. You are drawing us unto yourself, and you are speaking uh, to us individually. We want to be open, receptive and responsive to you today. We love you. In your name we're gathered, name we pray. And everybody said, "Amen, Amen. you can take a seat. So these first 12 verses are known as the Beatitudes, literally translated, the blessings. Jesus starts off with eight eight times. He says, God blesses those who blank or blessed are those who blank. And, uh, and he, what he's beginning to do is he's telling us, he's introducing to us a new way of seeing the blessed life. So often our flesh says blessing is finances and it's possessions and it's certain relationship statuses and it's certain body image. Like this is what blessed looks like. But Jesus goes in and says, hey, I want you to know that as followers of me, we look at blessing a lot different. And uh, we reorient the way that we view our lives, the way that we live our lives, and the way that we view blessing. The Greek word for blessing, as we've talked about, is the word makarios, which makes it clear to us that this is the, sometimes we can view blessing as, well, if I do the work, I get the reward. Makarios makes it really clear that this is not a reward for the good things that we've done. It is living from a posture of blessing, not in order to live, not living in a way to receive blessing. It's like when we experience the gospel, when Jesus's righteousness covers us and we are now living from approval, we now live differently than if we're trying to earn status, earn blessing, earn approval. We've also introduced the word flourishing as a, a concept that's helpful for us as blessing. That it is not do the work, get the reward. It's that your soul is most alive. It is where it belongs. It's how God designed it when we live. Live these ways. And so, what we need to understand is when Jesus is telling us to live these ways, as he starts off the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that he actually wants what's best for us. He wants our souls to be alive. So, we can't read the Beatitudes as a bummer, like, oh, okay, I got to live this way and, and struggle through life. It's like, no, your soul will be most alive. When you receive the gospel and you recognize that you are living from blessing, it's going to live, you're going to look differently, but you're not going to be lacking. You're going to experience God's Best for you and for your soul we uh, we've talked about the first four beatitudes God blesses those uh, who are poor in spirit you recognize the spiritual poverty of sin and your need for him God blesses those who mourn who are grieving over sin and the consequences of sin in the world and in our own lives we've talked about God blesses those who are meek or are, who are humble that uh, you live from a posture where you're not self-serving anymore but you're serving him and his purposes and then lastly we We talked about God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not just righteousness and justice out there, but in here, like there is a a hunger, a desire, an appetite inside of us for sanctification, for growing in the righteous character of Christ. Uh, Today, our intent is to get through two Beatitudes. This is the first time we will attempt this uh, and it's going to be amazing. So let's start in Matthew 5, verse 7 goes from there and says, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. That when we are living from approval, not for blessing, but from blessing, we live in a way that is extending mercy. God blesses the merciful. Or the other way we've been looking at this is our souls are most alive. We're flourishing. We're thriving. Not when we're holding grudges and not when we are judgmental and believe that they deserve it, but when we are merciful. That this is where our souls are alive. This is where we experience flourishing. Um, Jesus has, has already, as he's speaking through the Beatitudes, referenced Old Testament concepts uh, frequently. Uh, Almost every one of these has been a teaching that you can find in the Old Testament. And then so often we've been looking at Paul is giving further examples of this later in the New Testament. But Jesus, these last like three Beatitudes are summarized here in Micah six. This is a a Old Testament teaching that Jesus would be referring to. Micah six, starting in verse six, this is in response to recognizing sinfulness. God's people recognizing the sin in their life. They've been called out on And they respond this way. Uh, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow down before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? They're like recognizing the, the depth of their sin. They're recognizing their spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, they recognize that they need, they need a savior. They need help. So Their response is, okay, what do we do about this? And it starts smaller. Like, should we just sacrifice some of our crops? And then it's progressing to bigger and more extensive and more expensive rivers of olive oil. Should we sacrifice our firstborn children? Like, what do we do? Thank God the next word is no, not yes. Uh, it says here, this is what you ought to do. No, 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 no. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. This is the response to the posture of recognizing our sin and our need for God's grace. This is what God requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. These are the last three Beatitudes we've talked about. Meekness, humility, walk humbly with God. We've talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to live right, and now to love mercy. That this is a concept, like what God is after and what blessing looks like, understanding the gospel that God has provided for us does not lead us to, okay, what do I have to do now? How do I serve? What do I sacrifice? How much do I need to give? What do I, like, they're saying, what do we have to give for this? He says, no, 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 it's it's the other way around. When you recognize the gospel that has been brought to you, the way that we live now is seeking righteousness and it is loving mercy and it's walking humbly. With God. Uh, I want to take a moment to identify maybe mercy and its difference from grace. I think a lot of times we talk about mercy and grace interchangeably. They're not too distant from each other. I don't think it's a big problem. But I, I think that a, a way to facilitate in our minds what we're talking about with mercy today is that grace would be extending undeserved forgiveness, mercy would be extending undeserved relief. Like it's one thing to forgive, to not hold us against, but then to provide relief for whatever that situation is. That's where mercy comes into play. I love that we have a God who didn't just extend grace, but he extends mercy to us, that there is both undeserved forgiveness and undeserved relief. I think that mercy has to be closely tied to to empathy that there is an internal movement, not just a a forgiveness, but now there is something inside of me that when forgiveness has been extended, I actually want to see relief from whatever was going on, whatever the person did or whatever the person said, that there is some empathy. And even if it's not directed towards you, you see someone else in a place of need. And rather than just bypassing it or uh, feeling bad, that there's like a movement inside of you to extend relief. I was trying to consider this week, like how do we identify uh, mercy? Do we have mercy in our lives or not? Because I think um, sometimes, at least for me, maybe it would be tough to tell. I think a good mercy test is uh, when there is a a, a person or a situation um, that, that frustrates you, that bothers you, that bugs you. Uh, maybe the way that somebody behaved, they were short with you, the look they gave you, they cut you off, Uh, the cashier that wasn't very kind to you, whatever it is. Like when when you find yourself irritated by the behavior of someone else, do you first jump to judgment? Like they're just nasty. They're terrible. I wish we didn't have them. I can't believe that interaction. Or do you jump to curiosity? Do you jump to, I wonder what's going on in their life that would cause them to behave in such a way? I think that um, what's, Maybe not all of us. I think for me, the default is not to be curious. It's like, man, they're just a terrible person and I don't care to interact with them ever again. But what does it mean to say, I wonder what's going on, to step into their shoes. I wonder what their morning looked like. I wonder what it's like in their home. Some of we have been trying to even exercise with our children where there's a child in their class that's difficult for them or frustrating or behaving certain ways. Like what? What, what if they, they actually have a really difficult home life and they need to be extended some love and some grace and some mercy? Like, what, what does it look like for us? I don't know for you, what does it look like when there is that irritation? Are you more curious about them and what's going on in their life that would cause them to behave in such a way? Or is it just easy to write them off based and label them based on that behavior? I think um, as we look at, at living in mercy, and being able to care for the needs and have compassion empathy for the people around us, it really flows in the progression of the previous Beatitudes. Like if we recognize the debt that we owe and we begin to see the mercy that has been extended to us and we, there's a, a sincere grieving over what we've done and there's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and, and, and not self-serving, but using our posture in life to, to serve God and serve his purposes. I think mercy is an obvious outflow of that, that we are reorienting life isn't around me and getting the most out of this for me, but I'm living from the gospel. I am living already blessed and approved righteous by God. Now it, re- it changes the way that we live and mercy being extended to others now becomes an outflow. Now there's some of you in this room where like mercy is your default setting. Like you're just the sweetest people, you see a need and you're like moved by it. I want you to know um, you're special. We don't all have that. I don't have that. Uh, and the reality is, is, is we've we studied this a, a while back, but the different gifts of the spirit, one gift of the spirit that he distributes to his people is the gift of mercy that some people aren't just nice people. They've actually been gifted by the spirit to have mercy for people. And uh, uh, some of you, that's your default. You see a need, you see someone hurting, you see someone broken, and you can so easily weep with those who weep. You can so easily be moved to, I need to do something to bring, bring relief to this situation. I just wanna say, those of you that are gifted in mercy, we've had about 200 people in Anchor Church fill out spiritual gift tests, it's there on the QR code. And uh, there are several of you, there's a handful of you that top three gifts is mercy. And I just think this is incredible because if there is in your nature, to just care for the need that is in front of you and not see it as a project, but like someone that you love and you care for. We need a whole lot more of that in this world. We need a whole lot more of that in this church because the reality is, is there's tragedy and there's struggle and there's challenge that is being faced today. And there's going to be more storms in the future. And what we need is not just teachers and instructors and ministry directors, we need people of mercy. And for some of you today, they're like, why Why would you jump to judgment? Like obviously the default is you just care for the person in front of you, you are amazing. And maybe God has gifted you with the spiritual gift of mercy. Those of us that haven't been gifted that way, this is not a, we're off the hook and we just need to get more people with that gift in here. As we've been saying, all Beatitudes are for all believers. We don't get to pick and choose which of these are for us. But as we are receiving the gospel and as we are living from blessing, All of us are to be growing in all of these. Today, specifically, we're to be growing in being merciful. That we don't just say, well, some people will be that. I don't have to worry about it. I'm just gonna do my job, stick within my gifting. And in fact, um, Scripture teaches us that we are to consistently be seeking spiritual gifts. And most specifically, it says, seek, pray for, ask, desire the gifts that aren't just most helpful for you, but are most helpful, most beneficial, edifying to the body. And certainly we could maybe try to rank which gifts are most helpful or which aren't, but can we just say that mercy, compassion, empathy, love, and to a place where we're motivated to do something about it to the people in our community and around Missoula has got to be one of the higher, most beneficial gifts. And so all of us are to be seeking, desiring, growing in these gifts. And as followers of Jesus, what it looks like, what our group identity is, is we're merciful. We don't just jump to judgment. We don't just say they deserve it. We don't just label people. We go to a place of, man, what is going on in their lives and in their stories, and we, we extend undeserved relief. I think it's also to, to notice, I think it's important to notice that um, there's no qualifications for who should or shouldn't get mercy, who deserves it or doesn't deserve it, because uh, that's what makes it mercy. It's undeserved. So maybe the people that uh, qualify most for mercy are the ones that feel like they should receive it the least. And I don't know what this is with your story. And this is challenging. And maybe even in your own mind right now, would you consider who is the person or the, the type of people that is easiest for you to label or easiest for you to say they don't deserve mercy? For some, it's individuals that you have interacted with and you've experienced pain on their behalf. For some, it's different demographics of people or different ideologies. And it's so easy to say, no, they are that and there's no mercy. There's simply uh, labeling and judgment. I wanna be clear here that this is saying like, this, it's undeserved is what makes it mercy. And once we get caught up in the gospel of who we are outside of the goodness and the grace of Christ, that it, what flows from us is not just labeling, it is it's mercy. I also wanna be clear to say that this isn't, I don't mean to say at all that we remain or we overlook unsafe or unhealthy places or relationships in justifying uh, behavior that is damaging. It is getting into a place that is safe, but it's also saying rather than desiring revenge or desiring that they they just don't ever receive mercy, what's it look like to say, uh, I'm not going to advocate. I'm not going to be okay with this type of behavior. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to get the right distance. But my heart that I'm seeking that God would develop inside of me. is not that that person would continue to suffer, but what does it look like to seek and to pray that there would be relief from their brokenness, from their bondage, from the pain that they have suffered, that they've walked through? How do we find ourselves moved to a place of mercy? Um, maybe you can remember in your life, have you ever, whatever you're doing, uh, just dropped what you were doing to help someone in need? Whether it was someone who offended you or not, but you just saw a need and you just dropped what you're doing and you, you provided relief. Uh, If you can think of a moment, I would just ask you, how did you feel at the end of that? Like, did you feel discouraged? Did you feel disappointed? Did you feel depressed? Or did you feel some sort of blessing? Did you find some sort of flourishing in that moment? Because the reality is, is that God designed our souls to flourish in mercy. It, It doesn't happen that we lay aside our agenda to provide for someone in a place of need and then leave lacking, leave discouraged. That God blesses, the place of blessing, the place of flourishing is when we are acting out in these, these beatitudes. We are hardwired to experience blessing when we live in mercy. I love Proverbs eleven twenty five says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. We've probably all experienced it. When you enter a situation, and what you do is like, I'm gonna refresh somebody else. You always leave refreshed yourself. Um, it's a little bit off, off script here, but um, I actually think that uh, this is a really important mentality for us as, as a community, as a body of believers. Um, I think sometimes as we are seeking refreshment, we're seeking that our souls would come alive. We're seeking to be, to be noticed and refueled and refilled. The greatest avenue to do that is to not just wait for someone else to do it to you, but you go refresh somebody else. Now, I hope and I pray, and we're gonna work hard to, to build a culture that Anchor Church sees you and talks to you and knows your name and recognizes you and like you, you matter. And, and I, it would be so sad if people came into this place and were unnoticed and, and not refreshed and, and no one saw them or cared about them and left. But I do wanna say this, To a degree, it's unfair to just show up to a place, sit there and hope someone else does something to refresh you. I wanna say uh, we wanna do our best and it better be our culture to see and notice and love and care for people. But for some people who are so disappointed in the church at large, and maybe even anchor specifically, show up and refresh somebody. Because he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I'm not just trying to get you to, to, to join a service team or to like help in some way, but, but what if we just showed up and said, you know what, rather than hoping somebody else follows the Beatitudes, I wanna follow Christ. I wanna uh, abide by his code of conduct. I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna give undeserved mercy to somebody or a people group that doesn't seem to be extending it to me and just see if your soul isn't refreshed what would it look like to have a community? I don't know how many people are in the room today. 200 people show up and every one of them is like, I'm here to refresh somebody else. How amazing would it be that it would be impossible to leave this place without feeling refreshed, even if no one reached out to you because we reached out to somebody else. I think that we need to stop putting on somebody else and the song selection and the sermon topic and and the vibe in the room. And if someone invited me to sit with them or not as being the basis of how we get refreshed and we just be a people that say, you know, I'm showing up to build up. I'm going to, I'm going to worship my God and I'm going to minister to somebody else. And it would be impossible. It could be the worst sermon, the worst music, uh, the most uncomfortable chairs, uh, if there's ones more uncomfortable than these ones and you leave here so pumped, so refreshed, Because he who refreshes others, he who is merciful to someone else, he himself is refreshed. I think mercy can look um, a lot of different ways. Certainly there are practical, tangible needs that people have in our community that we can meet. Sometimes mercy is, is helping someone physically. It's helping them financially. It's helping them with, with food. Uh, it's helping them with shelter. There, there's all types of ways. Maybe someone's going through a tragedy. Maybe somebody has is, is just had, uh, had a child and there's life transitions and we can provide and we can help and we can give. There are uh, so many ways to express mercy. Sometimes it is simply forgiveness and then making amends in that relationship. It can look a lot of different ways. Um, and I thought about like listing all these ways that we could live out mercy, but I just think um, really it boils down to this. I believe that the most important or the most clear, the most expressive way to show mercy is evangelism. Theological word for telling people about the hope of Jesus. I, uh, I don't wanna overlook the value of meeting someone's physical need. But even the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying like, hey, this isn't just about healed bodies and full stomachs. It's about your soul. It's about your eternity. And I just feel like what God has been stirring in me for this moment this week is we should absolutely look for ways to help people in need. And there are some amazing organizations that our church supports monthly and, and we should all be individuals that are looking to aid people that from our perspective, we see their need. But the ultimate goal is not how many people can be fed and how many financial needs can be cared for, but what is the status of somebody's soul? And I feel like if we're not moved by someone's eternal status more than their temporary physical status, I don't know that we have the mercy of Christ. What good is it if we gain the whole world and forfeit our souls? What good is it if we give what is necessary physically and never get to a place of sharing the gospel of Jesus? Now, I will also say some of the greatest ways to get to a receptivity of hearing the gospel is by meeting physical needs. I think that sometimes the greatest way to be able to show some of the love of Jesus is buying the meal, is providing the finances. I'm not saying we bypass all of this. But I think it would be difficult to say that we have the mercy of Christ inside of us if there's no urgency to tell people about the grace of Jesus. And if we actually believe in the eternity of heaven, and the eternity of hell, and there's not a motivation in us to pray over our city, to share the gospel with our city, I think we are so far from the heart of Christ wanting us to have mercy over our city. I think he absolutely would want us to meet physical needs, but the ultimate expression of mercy is I don't want souls to go to hell. That we would live in a way of saying our, our, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, the ultimate expression of mercy is, do you know the hope that is available in Jesus? Are we pointing them to the only person, the only source that can, be, can, can fix their sin problem and grant them new life? I uh, was up at, Uh, Summer Adventure Week, uh, the essentially vacation Bible school that we sent a bunch of our kids and some of our leaders up, hosted at Missoula Alliance Church, and it was amazing. And uh, I was just studying this this text, and um, they did this drama, and it was for these little kids, and I was actually in there with like five and six-year-olds, and it's the story of um, the friends who dug through the roof to lower their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. And as they're acting this out in front of like first graders, I'm just so moved in the back of like, this is what mercy is to look like. And maybe it is, again, there's so many ways to live out mercy. And please hear my heart. I'm not saying bypass that. But what this guy needed from his friends was not just another meal. They've been providing likely for this guy for years who couldn't hold a job, that they were taking care of him and they were giving him rides around town. Like they're, they're, they're taking care of him. But what they needed was not just the, the food needed to survive another day. What he needed was the presence of Jesus. And what mercy looked like in that day is I'm not giving up when there's crowds and obstacles and challenges and resistance. I'm gonna get on a roof and dig through it and lower this person because what they need is the presence of Jesus. And that is what mercy is to look like when there are people in our lives what does it look like to not just provide for them what they need today but we've got to get them in the presence of jesus based on time and something going on in my heart right now we're going off script and uh spencer will you just come up just you right now band i might call you up in a minute we were going to get through two beatitudes today (laughs) and this really messes up the preaching calendar but we're not going to do it um When we get to pure in heart next time, it's going to be a doozy. You shouldn't miss it. Um, Holy Spirit, I just ask right now um, for your guidance, your direction. I just want to hear from you and let us be responsive to, to this moment. This uh, moment like this, I'm a planner. I like to be prepared and organized. So this makes me super uncomfortable. Spencer's thriving right now. Like this is, awesome. let's throw every script out every time. Um, man, I just am sensing just a challenge for us and a prayer for us to grow in our heart of evangelism. It's really easy to enjoy what God's doing in our lives in this community. It's really wonderful to celebrate, uh, even in these, whatever, eight or nine weeks we've been in this sermon series. It's really great to see how God's been challenging and growing and developing us, and we don't bypass that, but the good news is not just for us to get more mature and miss out on the great call to share the good news with others. I just feel an urgency to focus on that for our last few minutes together. And I don't have good notes on it. But I'm just asking that God will give us a heart of mercy that certainly is humanitarian for bodies, but even more so humanitarian for souls. And that when we see people with certain conduct in our community, that is opposed to the way that we think and the way that we believe, what does it look like for that to stir inside of us? A heart of mercy. Like God, people don't know you. And they're looking all sorts of places for belonging. They're looking all sorts of places for hope and identity. What if it stirred inside of us less judgment and more mercy? Like what does it look like to not just be angry and opposed and the other side of the aisle, what does it look like to approach them with curiosity and with kindness and say what your soul is actually looking for is a hope that none of this can provide for you. And in such a way that we are relational and we're caring and we're loving. I wanna ask you this question. Um, In your prayer life, I don't know if it's percentage or often, but how much are we praying for the lost? It's easy to say that we have a heart for Missoula, or we have a heart for people that don't know him. The percentage of our prayers often reveals what we really care about. And I'm not saying we stop praying for physical health and these financial situations, these relationships, but are we actually moved with mercy that there are people all around us who don't know the hope of Jesus? And is it even crossing our prayer lists? I, uh, I'm just gonna be vulnerable I, I, for a couple minutes here. I do think that Anchor Church uh, and what God has called us to do here in this local community, I think we should always be growing. I think we should always see more people coming. We're, we're not driven by numbers and how many people can we get. We would have gone to two services long ago if like just getting people in a room was our, our primary goal. But I do think that this should be an ever-growing community of people. Not because of the facilities or the music or the speakers or the staff. I think it, it should be an ever-growing community because there is a people who've been transformed by the gospel and there is a mercy for the community around us that doesn't know Jesus. And we're bringing them, we're digging through roofs to get them in the presence of Jesus. Say there's hope that is available and even if I can't communicate it, even if I don't have the ability, like I just wanna bring you to moments where the presence of God is there. And I just, we gotta, what, what does it take to get them there? Second Corinthians five has the scripture that says, "Because we understand our fearful responsibility, we work hard to persuade others." I think sometimes we just enjoy being in a faith community, but we forget our fearful responsibility to persuade others to say there is a hope that is available to you. This was stirring in me in a couple of different ways this week, and this is where I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable. Um, up at Missoula Alliance Church, it is we've been so spoiled by that church, that staff, that community. Um, they've been so kind to us. In so many ways, it's, we're not gonna take the time to list right now, but was up there and seeing them share the gospel with over 300 kids a day was remarkable. And part of me is sitting there watching their team at work and the facilities that they have and, and the, 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 the leaders that are just serving so faithfully. And there's a part of me that's like, man, you know, I love this. But why, why can't we be there? Why aren't, I want to be able to do more. And there's a part of my flesh that's jealous. It's like, this, this is amazing what they're able to do that I just don't feel like we're at capacity to do. And they're so generous. They let us participate and send our kids there. But I was just this overwhelming sense of what the Spirit says is mercy for Missoula is so much more important than my flesh and my pride and my jealousy. The gospel is being shared with hundreds of kids. And it was amazing. Every day, kids raising their hands and flooding the altars to, to respond to faith in Jesus. And I gotta be a part of a response team where you take kids back uh, to the back of the room and you're just praying with them and they're accepting faith in Christ. And it, it was so amazing. Who cares what church, what facility, what buildings, what location. The next generation is hearing the gospel in powerful ways and is mercy for Missoula more important than what it looks? like at our community and what we're doing, what ministries we have in our buildings and our staff. There's a couple of, of newer churches in town that uh, I was even thinking through this week who have um, outside resources that is, is is wonderful, that they are being backed by other churches or other ministries and have a whole lot more than what we were able to start with. And there is flesh in me that's like, why couldn't we have that? I feel like we could do so much more. But mercy says we are gonna celebrate that there are more coming into this harvest field to share the gospel, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are you therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers that we should be begging for more churches in this town and if that means that we don't grow and we're not whatever level of who cares mercy for Missoula says God by whatever means we want this city to know you We have a small season of time. I'm praying that we have 30 years of pastoring Anchor Church and then our time is over and we go and we pass it off to the next generation. But what is gonna be lasting is not what we were able to build and what people thought about us, but is Missoula experiencing the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And I'm just praying, God, would you change my heart? Would you put to death the pride and the flesh that's inside of me? Would mercy for this community outweigh what, how we want to be perceived or, or what our next building looks like. like Those things matter. And I wanna be faithful to what God has called us to do. And we're not done, Anchor Church. It's gonna grow. And I believe we'll own a building someday and there will be more staff. And I, I pray that we can minister to the people of this city it's far greater than we are right now. But it's not just how, how can we do this here, but God, would you reach the city? Would you reach Missoula? And if it's bringing in more churches, we can't fit a whole lot more in here and we're trying to figure out how to get to two services. Maybe we never can. So there better be more churches. There better be more harvesters sharing the good news of Jesus. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? I got to share the gospel. Uh, There's someone that shares the gospel each week at summer or each day at Summer Adventure Week. I got Friday and uh, it was a story of the prodigal son. And uh, it was was so cool to get up after the drama and to share the gospel. And at the end of it, we just talked about a bunch of kids raised their hand, went to to go pray with some leaders. And then all the kids that were left, we just talked about as the, the older brother who sometimes has a hard time celebrating other people, finding faith in in Jesus, coming back to the love of the Father, and just challenged everyone in the room. We're gonna do, uh, right now is gonna be an altar call that's designed for six-year-olds. So uh, we're gonna do this, it's gonna be great. I just asked him, can you think of one person? One person in your life that has not experienced the lavish love of the Father. Can we pray for them? And we can, can we ask God for opportunities to tell them about the love, lavish love of the Father? In a room full of hundreds of children are, are holding up their hands, because they have one friend that they're gonna pray, experience the lavish love of the Father. And I'd like to think that us at our age, at Anchor Church, we could do the same. I'm gonna ask you, is there some person in your life that the greatest expression of mercy towards them is that they get at the feet of Jesus, they experience the hope and the grace of Jesus, we're just gonna pray over them right now. Band, I'm really sorry. We're not gonna do another song. If you got one person in your mind, would you just, by raise of hand, this isn't you just like saying, I've got someone." with God, we're lifting these people up to you. There's one person in your life that you know, the greatest act of mercy is not just the physical need, but their souls being secure in the hands of the Father, them experiencing the lavish love of God. Father, we just come before you right now and we just ask, would you just break our hearts to have a greater level of mercy for your, your, your men and women, children that you have designed and you have created that have not experienced your love? God, would we, would we be quick to repent today? of how easy it is for us to isolate how easy it is for us to judge or to label but God would you break our hearts and, and give us a mercy and an empathy and a compassion to say what is going on in their lives what is preventing them what are the crowds that are preventing them from experiencing the presence of Jesus and what can we do about it maybe it's undeserved relief undeserved forgiveness but God we are so grateful for the gospel on our lives that we are now living in a different way than culture we're living a different way than the flesh that we are we are reorienting around your gospel transforming us and we don't have to hold grudges we don't have to judge that we can offer your mercy God we right now we put, we lift up these individuals some of them sons and daughters, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, cousins, some are neighbors, some of them are coworkers, some of them are classmates, some of them are teammates. But God, you know every single person that right now is on our hearts. And we just ask, Lord, that they would experience your lavish love. God, that they would experience your gospel, whatever barriers have been preventing that, whatever past hurt with religion, past hurt with church, whatever their circumstances are, God, we just ask for miracles. We ask for bondages to be broken, barriers to be, to be set aside, and they experience your love and your mercy and your grace. God, we ask, what can we do about this? God, would you provide opportunities? And would we have the courage to take advantage of the opportunities to share the hope that we have found in you? you with them. God, would we be those that are quick to invite? I absolutely believe the Anchor Church should grow and even over Montana summer months, there should be more because we have a heart of mercy of bringing people to your feet, experiencing your grace. God, right now, I wanna pray for the other churches in Missoula. And God, we are so grateful that you are planting more churches in the city, that you are calling people from other cities and other states to come to this harvest field. God, we just pray your grace over them, we pray for finances, and we pray for buildings, and we pray for staff, and we pray for leaders, and we pray for 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 miracles to happen, for more churches to be planted in Missoula. God, we just ask uh, for for these leaders and these pastors that you would gift them in unique ways where they're gonna reach people that haven't been reached yet, that are gonna be able to show your love and your mercy and your grace in a language and in a way that is gonna be so receptive to others. God, we just ask that Missoula encounters your grace. God, we pray that as this summer we're... we're, we're We're going around town and we're praying, whether it's on hills or on rivers or in shopping centers or in our own homes, in our neighborhoods. God, we just ask that you would break our heart for for Missoula. God, that there would be a mercy that is birthed inside of us that we haven't experienced in a long time. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you give gifts and we are to ask and to seek for more. So Lord, we ask for the gift of mercy to be poured out on us. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you baptize us? Would you give your gifts? God, that there would be an empathy as we walk through life this week that we never experienced before, a compassion for our community that we've never experienced before. Father, we love you. Missoula is yours. You are the shepherd, you are the king, and we are here for the season of time you've allotted us to follow you, to follow your directions, to minister the way that you have designed and you have called us. And we're so excited to see what you do in this next span of years as the gospel is shared in this community. We love you, it's your name we're gathered, it's in your name we pray, amen, amen, amen. amen.